Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson. In this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Aaron Orendorf, a content strategist, copywriter, and blogger for hire. While he spends most of his time in the world of content, working with companies like Shopify and writing for sites like Mashable, Lifehacker, and Fast Company, Aaron's story is a surprising one. He didn't go to business school or study to become a marketer. Aaron actually went to seminary school after graduating from college, and he became a church minister for a couple of years. Eventually, though, he experienced a few life-changing events and found himself in a bit of a dark patch, turning to drugs and alcohol and had to step down from his church ministry. Aaron took some time to recover, make positive lifestyle changes, and started to test his way into a new career as a freelance writer. And the rest, they say, is history. In this episode, we're talking about how Aaron's gotten published on major sites like Fast Company, Lifehacker, Copyblogger, and more. We're covering the tactics and strategies Aaron's used to land high-value freelance contracts working with name brands in the business world like Shopify. We cover Aaron's personal writing practice, how you can transition into a completely new career, and we go behind the scenes of his content marketing workflows. All of this and so much more. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Aaron Orendorf. Aaron, welcome to the show. Oh, this is fantastic, right? I'm so pumped to be here, pumped to connect with you. I love everything you're doing and what you're about. So this is this is fantastic. Oh man, well thank you, thank you. It's uh, it's an honor to finally connect. And I've got an easy warm up question for you that I ask actually all my guests. Um, what book are you reading right now, or has been your favorite recently? Oh, that's a really good question. So I've been a huge Ryan Holiday nerd for the last six months or so. Uh, so I've been devouring um, his books. The, besides the, the early one, the Trust Me, I'm Lying, I'm more of like a, a latecomer to Ryan Holiday. So uh, Ego is the Enemy, The Obstacle is the Way, his stuff at Daily Stoic is just amazing for like feeding your soul, that kind of stuff. But what I'm reading right now is uh, – Tested Advertising Methods, which is an old school, like 1920s, 1930s copywriting book by uh, John Caples. He's the guy that wrote that really famous, they laughed when I sat down at the piano, but when I started to play, it's like this four page single spaced like ad from back in the day that just demolished everything. Uh, so I'm, I'm digging into like some old school copywriting stuff right now and loving it. What are you hoping to get out of it? You know, I, I'm working with a guy who uh, I'm not even sure if I should say his name. He's one of these like behind the scenes dudes who I just happen to connect with. And I've been really looking for somebody to kind of train me more on really the chops of sales writing, uh, especially with what I'm doing. We'll get into later. But uh, and he was like, you got to read. He gave me two books, both from like the 1920s, 1930s, and then a whole bunch of direct mail stuff that I'm supposed to read <laughs> and then take notes on and then go back to him with. And so I'm hoping to become a much better persuasive sales drive action sort of writer instead of just like I'll nail the popular stuff. I can do that. I can get stuff shared, but to drive action in sales, that's what I'm really focusing on these days. I love that. All right. So we'll link up those books in the show notes. Definitely the classics. Um, yes. 
All right. So Aaron, you are a content strategist, copywriter, blogger for hire. How long have you been in the business? About four years. Just, uh, yeah, just over four years now. So uh, I, I no longer a- apply to the under 30 crowd and I have it for about <laughs> five years. I'm going to turn 35 here in a month, but I still feel like a relative newcomer to the game. Did you study writing or marketing any sort of formal training or have you been kind of like a self-taught bang through it? I did my undergraduate work in English at a public university and that was an emphasis in writing, but mostly like creative study, the classics, literature kind of stuff. And then I have what's called a master's of divinity. So after undergraduate, I went to graduate school seminary, actually fully accredited. So it wasn't just some weird basement somewhere. It's fully (laughs) accredited, but that it sounds kind of weird, but actually studying homiletics, uh, upfront communication. I mean, it almost can feel hacky to say that sales and marketing, but oh my gosh, it is. I mean, it's conversion, not in the online <laughs> sense, but in the true old school sort of sense. And so I'd learned, that's actually, that's really where I cut my teeth on uh, persuasive, compelling storytelling, emotions, how to back it up, how to use sources that your audience is already familiar with instead of just your own home team, but saying like, I'm going to pick inside your world and pull out and try to show you why your deepest beliefs, your fears, the way you want the world to be. My team actually does that really, really well. So why don't you come over and check it out? That that kind of stuff. So seminary school. Wow. That is a massive transformation um, to what you're doing now. What triggered that change? Or was there kind of like an in-between step? Tell us about that journey. The trigger in my life was basically the collapse of my life. So I finished seminary and did about two, two and a half years of full-time ministry up in the Portland, Oregon area at a multi-site church. So I had my own little, you know, shepherding congregation, but we were linked up to other campuses around the area. And then, uh, Man, I had this wrecking ball event that I had nothing to do with come crashing into my life. And my response to that was to get incredibly resentful and self-centered. Dude, there was <laughs> there was drugs and alcohol involved. Like I had never been like down that road before. But I had this like I wouldn't have said it out loud at the time, but what I look back on now is this incredible sense of entitlement. Like I put in all this work, I'm doing all the right things, I'm really good at this. Why isn't life working out the way I want it to? And that is a recipe for disaster. So everything really just, I I pulled the structure of my life down on my head and uh, I had to resign from from the church. They were very nice about it. They they were like, it's time, buddy. Like, (laughs) we can do this politely. Um, No, they were actually really, really gracious about it. And so I left and went into academics. And I taught at college up there in the Portland area for about a year and then moved down here where I am now in the middle of nowhere, Southern (laughs) Oregon, for my first full-time writing gig. Um, And that's when everything, everything finally collapsed and I found myself unemployed, unemployable. I mean, all the cliche stuff, the, the, the family was gone, that lost the house. I mean, like everything just fell apart. My back was up against the wall. And that's when I jumped into content marketing. How many years ago was that? That was that four year mark. So about four and a half years ago was when all that went down. And I just, uh, I had to do what I had to do. And I knew I could write. Uh, I'd done a little bit of marketing work and editing that kind of stuff before. So I, I threw up this super lame Wix site 
and just started like blogging. Eventually went over to Squarespace. Like I was low tech, man, just like bare minimum. And, but I just started hitting those keys and, and pushing hard and push and publish a lot. So what was the first writing gig that you landed? And it was, it was a full-time job. You said your first one. My first one was yeah. this design and development agency. Uh, and that was when I was kind of still transitioning from academics when I was teaching college into marketing uh, that lasted about four months. I mean, it was, it was a glorious implosion. It lasted about four months. And then yeah, that the structure of my life fell down. And so when I went actually after the, um, the freelance stuff, cause that's what I had to do when I went after the freelance stuff, my very first job was actually with a curriculum developer for ESL and Spanish language for, for elementary schools, which I knew nothing about, but you know, I, I knew what rhetoric was. I knew logos, ethos, pathos. I was devouring things like copy blogger and copy hackers and content marketing Institute. And I was reading books. And so I, was, I, I just knew how to apply those principles to whatever the, the thing was, the product was. So we have a lot of listeners here today, actually, that either want to break into freelance writing or land higher paying gigs than what they're currently getting. So what would be like your single best piece of advice to the people that want to become a higher paid freelance writer? Guest post like crazy. That, that is absolutely how I like in about two years went from zero to six figures in freelance work what was the guest posting and it's not paid guest posting uh it, it's all like on your time submit for free write it up but i started out by going after the kind of niche marketing sites like marketing profs uh copy blogger were two of my first big gets uh and then i jumped over the the big hurdle into places like entrepreneur fast company business insider i wrote for inc for a while i'm on mashable now i mean I, I, there's a ton of places i've written and i knew that well, I had this like logo envy, right? I would go to other freelance writers site and I would see all those pretty logos that they had. And there's something magical about that kind of social proof. Yeah. And that was the real game changer for me was getting up on those sites, getting that exposure. So by the end, I was writing like on my own blog twice a year and everything else I was pushing out because I wasn't trying to build an email list. I wasn't trying to get a lot of traffic. I was just trying to get those one or two people who would find me on those sites that make me pre-approved. They'd click through my bio and come over. And then I didn't have to argue about price because when they're coming over from a place like entrepreneur or business insider, they already trust you. They know what you're capable of. You've already got the stamp of approval. So going after those, those big sites, especially is huge for, for growing and growing on steroids. So would you say that you've landed clients directly because of those features or has it been like a little bit more of like a social proof and personal branding thing or does personal, it, yeah, go ahead. Per, personal branding and social proof. Absolutely. But no. Um, so like right now I'm, I'm working with Shopify, uh, basically full time as a consultant, right? So they're a Canadian company that can't actually call me a full-time employee. So I'm not, I'm not on paper, but I'm basically working with them full-time. And that literally came about because of a guest post on conversion Excel, right? It was a guest post on conversion Excel. And what I was doing for a while when I was really looking to get exposure is I wouldn't just post and then let it hang out. I used to use Sujan Patel's app, uh, notifier, which would basically let you tag everybody who's referenced in an article and send out individual tweets dripped out over time <laughs> directly to those people. And so I could load it up and be like at so-and-so featured you in my latest 
post on conversion XL, mm-hmm. uh, make sure I got your link right. Like I would just send something like that out. And so it wouldn't like come out in this one giant batch, but it would look like an actual human wrote it because sort of a human did. And I just happened to tag um, the ex-editor at Conversion XL, Tommy Walker. Mm-hmm. He's now the blog editor at Shopify Plus. That that one like tweet led him back to the article, led him right over to my site. And that turned into my biggest client of 2016, which is now my biggest, biggest client ever right? From a guest post. Same thing happened when I wrote for Lifehacker. So when I wrote for Lifehacker for the first time about a year and a half ago, I was very intentional about reverse engineering the topic I wanted to focus on. Mm-hmm. So I'd used BuzzSumo to figure out what was the most popular article on Forbes of the last year. And it turned out to be on being on time, like on time is late, uh, early is on time and late. You might as well not show up. Yeah. It was this weird, like 500 words on promptness and it was the most popular, most shared <laughs> article. So I took that as the inspiration point over to Lifehacker and did an article on online business etiquette with the express purpose in mind of linking to and featuring a number of like, um, go to meeting webinar kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, other SaaS platforms or hardware platforms that facilitate all of this. And lo and behold, one of them noticed it, followed me over. And that turned into my second biggest client from one post of 2016. This is the tactic you just outlined right now is something that I explain to literally everyone. That's like the exact basis of my business too. So it's, yes. it's like, you know, peel off the clients you want to work with and then get them, show them the value that you can deliver through, you know, high value features, your blog, like whatever your value props are, like use the tools you have to show them what you can already do. And then, you know, some of them will reach out. And then do you do anything in terms of reaching out to these companies proactively? Not heavy handedly, uh, but, but in a sense, yes. So I recently did a piece for Mashable on sort of the, the bridging the gap between humanity and tech. And this was one of those pieces that I put my pretend journalist hat on for and really (laughs) hunted down as many C-level execs as I possibly could at big name sites. So I ended up having um, the chief technology officer of Dropbox was in there. Uh, I had one of the chiefs from Canon uh, Mm -hmm. and and a whole bunch of other people ended up – Salesforce, one of their execs jumped in, uh, Polycom, one of their execs jumped in, like these really big enterprise level players. And now none of them am I going to go after in any sort of heavy handed way. I'm just mm-hmm. going after the quote, make it meaningful and then get them to share and help promote it. Right. But that again is an intentional step in the direction of this is the space I want to become an authority in. And now I've got direct contacts at all of these places that otherwise never would have heard of me. So now you said you're working a lot with Shopify, who's actually really well known in the world of business for their incredible depth of content on the blog, which really resonates with what you do. So Mm. how do you land a name brand client like Shopify? I know you sort of had, you know, your personal story of how you did that, but what's your advice to someone else who wants to replicate that? What you said about leveraging whatever platforms you have access to is key as a starting point because it's it's really as simple as giving before you try to get. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to to give, whether that's on your own blog, whether that's trying to get a, a big guest post somewhere. And like, you know this, right? Guest posts 
are far easier than most people think. Now, some are harder than others, but a lot of them, like the entrepreneurs and the fast company, the business insiders, those I cracked really early by just simply studying their popular articles, their word count, their use of images, their use of linking, and then just pitching entire articles to editors cold, but entire articles tailored just for that publication. And so including the people that you're trying to attract in those articles is a great way to do it, to get their attention. And then just being really intentional about letting them know that you featured them, not asking them to share it, not asking them to link to it, asking for nothing except for, this is my favorite little hack, right? (laughs) Um, I featured you in such and such, just want to make sure I got the link right. There's something magical about those words that makes them click through, that makes them check. They actually looked at it. And then you haven't asked for anything. You've just given. And nine times out of 10, they write me back. They actually (laughs) end up like they do share it, that kind of stuff. It's, it's super sneaky. So is that the actual subject line of the email you use? So you'll, you'll do like a cold email to someone. If you haven't like grabbed a quote from them already, you'll, you'll like do cold outreach. You'll say featured you in publication name. Want to make sure the link is correct? Yeah, like FT period in Mashable, did I get the link right? Is, is like the subject line for, because it's like a question, they want to open it, it doesn't <laughs> sound, you know, it's, it's just this great little, and I didn't come up with that. John Butt, who's got a great podcast, he's the guy that shared that with me. And so I started using that. But a lot of times I don't even send an email, I just do it through Twitter mm-hmm. until they respond. And then my other little secret is, if someone doesn't respond to an email, whatever that is, if it's an ask for a contribution, an ask for a quote, an ask for a share, or the check the link sort of ask, if they don't respond to me within five, seven days, I send them the exact same email and act like they never got the first one. And I'll just do that until they either tell me to stop or or write back. Cause I just assume they're busy. I know I'm the same way. Right. Um, and the last thing I want is some weird quasi passive aggressive guilt trippy thing about how I didn't write (laughs) you back. No, it really is. So I just send them the same thing until they tell me to go away. Rarely they do. Usually they write back something nice. That's actually a really good piece of advice, though, because it's so easy when you're the person doing cold outreach in your mind to have this like really built up picture of like, you know, oh, my God, you know, they must not like me. They must be pissed. Am I annoying them? And it's like, no, stop being so selfish. Honestly, like they have a job like they have priorities of their own. And so it's like. Until you can sort of like level the ante up to where you're providing enough value to warrant that response, you just got to keep it up. Yeah, you just keep it up and don't throw any guilt trips on them. Yeah. So one thing I I really admire about you is that you still find the time to write for all these publications you mentioned, you know, Mashable Entrepreneur Inc., Can you tell me about your writing process, if you have one? So I've dialed it back quite a bit in the last few months. A lot of the, you probably know how this is too. A lot of the things that are still continuing to publish were like, and those were in the can like January through March. Mm -hmm. And they're still just sort of dripping out the way publishing calendars work. The best thing I ever did was I started investing in ghost drafters. So what, what I found after about that two year mark, when things really ramped up for me is demand far outweighed my capacity. So I emailed my list. Uh, I started doing some outreach on Twitter. And so I reached out to people that already sort of had a relationship with me and it was basically, I think the subject line of that one is want to write for me, I'll pay you. <laughs> and, uh, and then I just walked them through the process of like, here's the deal, right? Um, I know you, you're probably not quite ready to straight up ghost write anything, 
but this is going to be a give and take sort of relationship. I'm going to give you the headline. I'm going to give you the targeted publication. I'm going to outline the piece. I'm going to give you uh, research links that you shouldn't actually link to and then cross links that you should link to in the piece and you should include quotes for. So I'd give them that real like bare bones outline of it. I'd hand it over via Trello and Google Docs so we could collaborate really easily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a week later, they come back with if the word count is a thousand. That's what they're aiming for. And then I take it over sort of as an editor. And depending on how much work I have to put into it, I'm going to give you a flat fee. Or if it's brilliant, I'll pay you one, two, three hundred dollars to take it off my plate. If it if, if I can get away with editing it for like 30 minutes on the front end, 30 minutes on the back end, brilliant. Uh, and so I've got this sort of small army of writers that I go to in different specialties. And they're right on that cusp, right? These are people that who already knew me. They're right on that edge of like, they're not quite good enough to stand on their own. So I'm paying them, but at the same time, they're also getting a ton of feedback and coaching on their writing. And then these are the people that once they do progress, end up being like just amazing evangelists and super fans who share my stuff and who comment on it and interact. So it's it's just this amazing sort of like I get way more work done by outlining it up front, handing it off editing it so it still can have my stamp of approval, Mm -hmm. but I get a lot more done through that process. So these days then, how often do you sit down and write? So these days, yeah, that's a really good question because these days, now that I'm into the Shopify plus stuff, which is basically the enterprise arm of Shopify itself. So there's like Shopify core and then there's Shopify plus and Shopify plus, um, is it's, is it's, is basically grown out of the original platform, but it's far more robust. Um, it, it's a bit more costly. It's a very, very different audience. So these are the enterprise folks that, uh, you know, the GEs that come to us like Kanye West, Kylie uh, Jenner, uh, Kim Kardashian just did her big launch through Shopify. They do these really sick, amazing big picture things. And then, and then a whole bunch of other like brands you never would have heard of, but are moving like millions of dollars every month. Um, so it's a very different audience, which means at that level, I've had to dig in a lot more to the work. Like I tried doing that same sort of process with uh, some of my writers and it just, the voice and the depth of knowledge you have to have, it was just too much. So I had to take all that stuff back. And so now I do about say an article every week, Mm -hmm. which is over 1500 words, sometimes pushing up on 2,500, 3000. Like these are really no joke articles. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's about once a week. Plus, then I also do all the things like the the landing page copy for, uh, you know, editorial stuff. I, I doing a whole bunch of work on the new website, which I am so psyched to release because I can point at that and be like, those are my words. And the <laughs> I have this whole design team and like developers and everything that made them look awesome. Uh, and I love the teamwork mentality there. So what would you say then has been your biggest challenge as a content strategy consultant over the years? <laughs> Over the years, the biggest challenge over the years is knowing my limitations. Mm. So I am really, really good at writing popular content. You know, I can reverse engineer something that ranks, uh, that's going to get tons of shares. My, my superpower is roundup posts that don't look like roundup posts. <laughs> like I've, no, that don't look like the, like the dumb, what's the best way for a new blogger to da, 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 da. Like, and I'm sorry if you've written those, no, those, those have their place, but, or anybody out there listening. Um, but that's my superpower. And I tried applying that superpower to things like landing pages in the past and it went horrible. 
Because there's a real difference between writing sales copy and writing engaging articles. There just is. And there's a lot of overlap, but they're different. And so that's why, like with these old school books I'm reading, and especially my work with Shopify now, I want to get a lot better at understanding the testing that goes into converting copy, understanding the structure, how that's different, what are the overlaps, what's, what's the difference between those two. Um, and it was painful to have a few crash and burns. Like I wrote this, I wrote this sales landing page for a nutrition supplement company like two years ago. It was like this liver supplement shake. And those guys, oh, it was so terrible. They emailed me and they're like, they literally had to take my version down because it was performing so much worse than their original. <laughs> like, and I just had a couple of those, two, three of those things go down where I realized, okay, I'm not that's not what I'm good at now. So focus on what I'm good at now and then build the skills behind the scenes mm-hmm. when you have time. And now I've got time and incentive to do that. I love that. That's great advice. So Aaron, I want to ask you a few of my frequently asked questions now, and I designed the questions to be intentionally short on my end. Your responses do not need to be equally as short. Excellent. What's your advice to someone who wants to get started as a freelancer, but maybe they feel like they don't have enough experience yet? That's where the guest posting comes in, because honestly, if you can write a good article, less than a thousand words for mainstream publishers, if you can write a good article, you can get up on those sites. As long as you pitch an entire article that's easy for the editor to push publish on using cross links to that same publisher's previous resources, which is a great little show of attention and care. I jumped over so many of the initial hurdles simply by doing that, that like nobody knew I'd been doing it for like a year and a half when I was starting to charge five, a thousand dollars for a blog post. You know, they just didn't ask that question. Um, and just don't be intimidated by that. My little person, my, my personal motto still, and especially when I was starting out is let's get rejected. I just preach that gospel as much as I can, because you're going to get so many no's when you start going out there and pitching these kind of pieces. So if you do feel intimidated, awesome. That means you're outside your comfort zone. That's, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be the kind of person that just does stuff and understand that even like I, I have a hierarchy of submissions where I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm going to take it to fast company because they are freaking rough. And if they say no, I'm going to take it to business insider with a few tweaks. And if they say no, I'm going to take it to su- success or entrepreneur down the mountain. You know, I mean, it's just, I'm not going to let something go to waste, but I'm also going to have thick skin and just knock it down that, that row. So I knew you were going to mention guest posting. So my next question is, what are the elements of the perfect pitch to these sites like Entrepreneur, you know, Inc., Lifehacker, or another way you could tackle that is how do you land features on those sites? BuzzSumo is my absolute favorite tool to figure out what's, what are the, say, top 10, top 20 and most popular posts on their site, you know, at least by social media standards. What I do is I've got a little Google sheet behind the scenes where um, I just grab all that information. I put it in. I have the headline. I have the word count. I have the subheads and I have the images and then finally the links. So I know those are like the things I got to get the right word count. I got to figure out um do they or do they not use images? What types of images? How do they treat subheads? Is it lists like numbered subheads or do they like non-numbered? Like Lifehacker freaking hates numbered, has subheads for some reason. Mm-hmm. And you just got to understand if that's, is that how they work? Um, and then links, like do they like linking externally? Do they like it when you back up data with a link to an original study or do they just want you to link internally to stuff they've previous published? So you're just catering it based on whatever those top 10 articles are from 
from Buzz Sumo. That's like, if you just go that far, you're going to be heads and shoulders above everybody else that's pitching them. Then I write the complete article, the whole thing. I, I polish it, have an editor look at it. You know, I, I have a personal proofreader who I pay. I have her make sure it's all clean. And then I email as many editors as I can find. I cold email them. There, there's a great tool you can use to look it up on LinkedIn. I use email permutator spreadsheets on Google to just put in the person's first name, last name at entrepreneur.com, create those like 30 variations of it, blind carbon copy it. So it looks like they're going out one at a time. And usually they're like three lines long. Hi, first name, just wrapped up a new piece, title. Do you think it's a good fit? It's attached. Sit. I have stopped telling them other places I publish, stats on those things. That is, that's it. And that's what's opened the doors the most. What kinds of sacrifices would you say you've had to make over the years in order to put enough time and effort into building your business into what it is today? Gosh, I live a ridiculously charmed, blessed, fortuitous life, whatever adjective you want to use. The biggest sacrifice is simply time. I mean, there's there's an always on sense, especially with social media, because it's one thing to produce a good article. It's another thing to be on it for promotion, which then makes people want to work with you over and over again. And so being responsive um, across social, it just that that's the hardest one, because that'll pull you away from family, loved ones. Um, when I go on vacation, it's like, I've always got sort of one eye open. I don't even know what it's like to not do that. I'm, I'm going to Rome later this year. And my deal is I'm unplugging <laughs> and I don't even know what that's going to be like. Uh, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little scared of withdrawals, that kind of thing. But it is, it's just, that's just one of the sacrifices and it's tough. Like no's are tough. Um, that's more of like an emotional sacrifice. There's weeks where it's manic and I'm just down because everybody's saying, no, I'm getting bad feedback. It still happens, man. Uh, so I, I got to go up to uh, Waterloo, the, the Shopify plus headquarters about a month ago. And, uh, I did this giant project for the new website and I wrote and wrote and wrote for like the month leading up to it. And I got up there and in my head, we were in the polishing stages and this new team had been assembled and we were clearly in the brainstorming phase when I got up there. And oh, dude, man. I felt like, I felt like, I felt like the, like the entire week was meeting after meeting of my pretty little baby just getting beat up. That's what it felt like. You know what I mean? But what came out of that is, one, I'm getting input from some of the literally pe the best people in this, in this industry. Like literally the feedback I'm getting is from the best people in the industry. They're pouring themselves into it. It's a labor of love for them to give it that kind of time and attention. Right? And the output that that's going to eventually become is so much greater than what I would have come up with in Aaron's own <laughs> silly genius. Right. So, but it, what, that was a sacrifice. It was like, this hurts. And it's good that it does. It means that it's, it's going the way it's supposed to go. Cause if it all felt good, I wouldn't be challenging myself. I wouldn't be growing. And that was one of the main reasons I wanted to join up with, you know, get put behind the freelance lifestyle and join up was because I fell in love with this team mentality and the people there are just so talented. So Aaron, this is my last question for you. 
What's been the best investment you've ever made? And that's in the context of growing your business. So we could be talking about time, money, online tools, products, services, education, or otherwise. People. It sounds so cliche, but when I was first starting out, uh, and I was gunning for copy blogger. Right? I was in love with their chief copywriter at the time, a guy named Damian Farnsworth, who is just a phenomenal writer and storyteller. And he can do direct response. I mean, he, the dude does it all. And I stalked the hell out of him. I mean, not just everything he did on copy blogger. I went to his own site, uh, the copy bot. And then I found <laughs> out he had a personal, personal site. And so I went there and it just happened to be, he was writing about theology and the same people that I like knew from back in the day and stuff. So I would share and comment on everything. And there was one point he wrote this fantastic post called, I think it was 15, damn good lessons from 15 dead copywriters. And I loaded up every single one of the lessons into Buffer and just dripped it out over time. And by like the ninth, you know, thing with him tagged in it, he finally wrote me back and was like, I see what you're doing here. And it was like, that was the, the open door to, um, I ended up hiring him to coach me early on. So I paid the guy money. So I grew a whole lot, but I was like giving and giving and giving and giving until about six months, maybe a year into our relationship when I finally said, Hey man, I just finished a piece that I think would be perfect for copy blogger. Would you mind checking it out? And the beautiful thing about that was he accidentally emailed me the entire string back from between him and his editor. And it was like, you know, all the things indented until the final oh. like thing. And then all the stuff back. And it all came down to like, okay, it's a topic we've done before. Yeah, it's pretty good. His editor asked him, is he a decent dude that deserves a chance? And Demian was like, yeah, he is. And that was like, I mean, for me, that was like Mecca at that point, like hobby blogger freaking blew my mind that they would post my stuff. And that was a huge liftoff. And what I learned from that and what I've continued to learn is just that give, 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 um, show people love, show them respect, share their stuff, comment on their stuff, link to their stuff as much as you can and wait for whatever that ask is, and then be a decent person when you finally do. Dude, amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Aaron, could you tell our listeners today where they can go to stalk you online and learn more about everything you're up to? <laughs> oh, absolutely. We'll throw it in the show notes uh, because you can go to iconiccontent.com, uh, iconic-content.com, and that'll redirect you to iconiccontent.com, which has one eye in the middle, or you can go to aaronorndorf.com, which will redirect you to my site, iconiccontent.com, with one eye in the middle. That's where I live and breathe, and you can see all the places I've written there. My socials all linked up there, and I am low-hanging fruit still when it comes to Facebook. So like, I'm still not like a big, cool dude on Facebook, so if you like my, my stuff and comment on it, that's how you can give it to me, and I'll, I'll befriend you for sure. All right. Awesome. Aaron, thank you again for being on the show. I had a fantastic time, man. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.